Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast of Crossroads Community Church in Nampa, Idaho. And here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership. My name is Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. And I'm Scott, and I'm one of the partners here at Crossroads. And apparently, Scott, the other thing we believe in is being sick. You and I are both sick. Yes. What is going on? It's just making its way around. I know. I, I've been for three weeks now. I know. I've been battling well, this. So sorry if we're a little gravelly today. But uh, we are really excited. We're starting a new series. Last week, we got to hear from Jack Beck talking about the wilderness in Psalm 23. And I don't know about you, Scott, but that that was really refreshing to me. That was just awesome. Great sermon. Gave me a new way to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture. I loved it. Yeah, and, and now Jim's going to lead us into First and Second Corinthians. He's looking at um, some of the themes of both books in one series called uh, Staying Focused in a Jumbled World. And Jim really felt like looking at you know, these two books would be helpful in our current climate and in our current culture. And so he's actually going to be looking at these five themes of the book. So I'm going to read these to you. One is division in the church over following popular instead of truthful teachers. Two is how do we conduct ourselves in a sexualized culture. Uh, Three is freedom in Christ isn't freedom to disregard others. Four, order and respect of one another in matters of worship. And five, resurrection and the importance of our being redeemed bodies now. So the idea of a resurrection. So he's going to tackle that over the next five weeks. But this week was an intro and we got to learn some interesting things about Corinth. And uh, it was really interesting, Todd. I don't know what you think about this, but part of the context of these is to know that they're letters. That they were written to certain people. And this is actually two of four letters. We have never found, you know, two of the other letters that were written to Corinth. But what do you think about, you know, diving into the into first and second Corinthians? It's hard to get any more relevant uh, than the church at Corinth uh, because there's so many similarities, right, be, uh, between Corinth and just what we see today. And uh, it doesn't take a person who's, a scholar to be able to look at this society and say, you know, it's probably not how God uh, would love it to be. And it's it can be a challenge to get through it, right? <laughs> no, it definitely can. Um, so yeah, we're going to dive in today as Jim intros our new series, Staying Jumbled. No, wait, Staying Focused in a Jumbled World, not <laughs> Staying Jumbled in a Focused World. But let's listen to, to Pastor Jim. y'all doing you look good you look good you enjoying this springtime weather right in the middle of january well it's a little cool but the sun's shining it looks nice of course i've been in phoenix all week so uh you know i'm just trying to i don't want to rub it in (laughs) 75 and clear every day that was beautiful yeah but i'm back but it's a beautiful day and uh i'm just so grateful to be here with you um if you're listening online, we, uh, we want to welcome you. Folks, uh, just to be aware, about 300 people average a week listen in online from here in town, throughout the valley, throughout the world, and uh, so they're very much a part of who we are, so thank you for joining us today. We are going to, we're going to get to know a city in the next few months, not necessarily study a particular um, uh, verse-by-verse analysis of a book of the Bible. We're going to look at a couple of books in the Bible, 
but we're going to get to know a city and what it faced in those biblical times. We're going to get to visit it and live in that city for a while. It's a, it's a place that isn't a whole lot different than the city that we live in, the places that we live. Um, you're going to find that they have challenges, and those challenges aren't a whole lot different than what we face. But where are we going to be here in the next, well, I don't know, weeks, maybe, more? is helping us learn to stay focused in a jumbled world. As we start 2019, as we think about what it means to walk with Jesus today, how do we do that? How do we keep our focus and making sure that our focus is on the right thing? How do we, as those who follow after Christ, stay focused? Some of you today have been walking with Jesus for many, many years. Some of you have for, have for just a short time. Some perhaps here this morning or maybe listening online, you haven't made that choice. You don't know yet if that's something you want to do. I have a feeling that this study is going to say something to all of us. It's going to help us understand what it means to stay focused. Though the era was different than the era of today. I think you might be shocked at times at how relevant and modern their struggle is. The city is a place called Corinth. I visited there, oh, it's several years back now, and spent time, you're going to see a lot of pictures over the next few, several weeks, of archaeology and uh, history that uh, will help these letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, two letters in, in particular that we're going to look at, come alive, hopefully. But this is a beautiful place, literally. It wasn't just a beautiful day. It is a beautiful setting for a city that was very, very important in the Roman province of the first century, across from Athens. But it was also a place where... It had a major seaport, and goods were offloaded here and taken up into Greece. So it was a major place where the world mixed together on a daily basis. It was an opportunity for many to make a name for themselves, make a great living. It was a city that was rich in tradition. It was destroyed in about 144 B.C. by Rome. This place was uh, uh, known for its extravagance. When Rome destroyed it, it laid destroyed for several years. But in the first century, Paul comes to Corinth and it's a bustling city of about 80,000 people. It was rebuilt, though, by Rome with a specific reason in mind. You see, Rome made a promise to its infantrymen, those who served in the military, that if you serve in the military, not only will we pay you to serve, we will also supply you with a place to live until you die of old age. And so sometimes they would give them cities that had been conquered. Sometimes they would rebuild cities and in this particular case, Rome rebuilt Corinth to give this place 
to ex-military. But they also placed people here who had won their freedom out of slavery. So if you can picture the first century culture of Corinth, it was a place where former slaves and former military lived side by side. These were people who worked hard, obviously, but not people of great influence, not people who had come from great roots socially, not people who had money when they moved there. They were pretty low on the social scale, and yet, because of it, it was a port, a center of influence, it was an opportunist's paradise. Now, if you live in Idaho or have lived in Idaho for some time, you might know about the story of the Oregon Trail. Some of you in your bloodlines go back, like mine do, to the Oregon Trail here in Idaho. But this was a land of opportunity at one point. It was a place where those who did not have much could go to a place and get a patch of dirt and make a name for themselves. And many did. And some not only made a name, but made a fortune. And it wasn't because they were educated necessarily. It was because they worked hard. Picture Corinth, Oregon Trail, with a seaport. This is the actual seaport from first century, the seaport where Paul would have docked his boat when he came to this place. It was a place where money flowed, where people could take advantage of that. It's interesting as you look at some of the pictures of Corinth, this is where they actually would drag the load in off the ships and cross this isthmus into the land of uh, um, land masses between Greece and, and Macedonia. But this place, as an opportunist's paradise, it was also a place of great pride because many people made it from nothing to something. This was clearly a culture that had pulled itself up by its own bootstraps, as some might like to say. And because of that, there was a lot of pride. It's interesting, as the archaeologists began to uncover the old city of Corinth, they began to find something, an enormous amount of inscriptions on walls. More so than any other city they'd ever uncovered. These were inscriptions written by those who, who, who inscribed them, but it's interesting, sometimes in, in our culture today, if you give a lot of money to something, you might get your name on the hall, on the building. In Corinth, they just went ahead and built their own buildings and put their name on it. Because they were proud. And it's into this culture that Paul walks. He spends about a year and a half, almost two years... And he begins a church here in the midst of this culture. The letters of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, are two of possibly four, three or four. But the two that we have are the ones that help us understand the big picture of what's going on. And so as we launch into the series, it's not going to be a verse by verse through 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I would urge you to read these passages on your own to prepare you for, for what we're going to be looking at. But we're going to look at the themes of Corinth because sometimes 1st and 2nd Corinthians will be read on the same study. 
Because we're going to see the problem and we're going to see how it resolved. See. So I want to start this morning, though, as we think about this city and we think about the fact that Paul is trying to help them, this young church, to stay focused in a jumbled world. I want us to look at the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me, would you? Um, and if you own a Bible, um, you might want to be bringing it during this series. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep the one you're holding right now out of the rack. <clears throat> or um, if, you, if you want to buy your own, that's great. The, the print's bigger on the ones you buy. Um, uh, but, but this is going to be one of those things where I think you might want to spend some time taking notes uh, underlining, highlighting, because I think we're going to find that this series is pretty relevant to, to, to where we are today. But I want to start by reading the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 through 9. We're going to zero in on the 4th through ninth verses in a little bit, but I want to start with reading those words. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1 through 9, the letter from the Apostle Paul, to this church that he started and now is trying to disciple. Greetings from Paul. This is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Stop. Chosen by Christ. Not by popular vote. Not by a democratic system. Not chosen because of his good looks. Not chosen because of his eloquence. Not chosen for any other reason that we might give it in our human standards, but chosen by Jesus Christ. Why? Why is that important? You're going to find out. Because this church, even though they loved Paul for giving them birth, so to speak, they began to wane in their love for him. And Paul setting it right from the get-go, I'm not here because you like me. <laughs> I'm here because Jesus sent me. And from our brother Sosthenes, I am writing to God's church in Corinth to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. What's he saying there? Hey, you guys are special. You're part of the plan, but you're not that special. You're just like everybody else. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord, we're all the family of God. Don't start thinking too highly, right? May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all your eloquent words and all your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true, and that is that Christ gifts us as a church. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop a moment there. What Paul is saying to the church is this. Every gift that you need is found right here. We can apply that over the centuries that God gifts the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ. A gift is not for me to use out of relationship with you. A gift is for me to share so that you might enjoy it 
or grow from it. A gift that you have is not for you, it's for me, that I might grow and mature from it. If you go to the letter of Ephesians, specifically chapter 4, it says God gives the gifts of these leadership gifts. What for? So that they might equip the body of Christ so that all of us reach maturity in the Lord. In other words, if you're not sharing your gift, it's going to hinder my maturity. What Paul says here is something applicable to every church for the past 2,000 years. Everything we need, everything we need is found right here. While we eagerly wait the Lord's return. He's going to keep, he's going to keep you strong to the end. So you'll be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this. For he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Those are the words that Paul begins this letter with. And let me just say, these are words that are not only true, these are words that Paul wants to be true. Because this is not a church that was living up to the words that Paul just spoke. Have you ever spoken into someone's life who you felt like was not living up to their potential and you began to help them see what they could be? That's what's going on here. Paul is saying, here is the truth. Here is what, who you are. And so these words are true and yet he wants them to be true and to continue to be true so that the church at Corinth continues to mature. As we look at the city, it's an amazing place. Um, you go back to some of the, the uh, um, I apologize for the picture on the right. I didn't see what it was going to look like on the screen. Really blurry, so I'll tell you what all those things are. Um, but the, but the archaeology of today is, is pretty significant of what they've uncovered. And uh, over here on the right is, is a description of, of, uh, of or a depiction of, of what that would have looked like at the time. Um, there's a few pictures that, that kind of give us an insight here. The first one is the temple to the emperor. The, 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 um, let's see here, right down here at the, at the, in the center, you see the big temple to Apollos and to the emperor, the emperor of Rome, but always mixed it up with the Greek gods, Apollos specifically in this case. This is a, a major place of worship for, for the Corinthian people. Now, what I want to point out right immediately is the meat market, the, the line that goes to that red roofed area right in front of the, uh, of the big temple. What we, what's interesting as you stand there is, is to realize the proximity of the meat market to the first steps leading up to Apollos' temple. If you are the butchers and you're, you're preparing all the meat that comes your way, this is a city of 80,000 people. That's where they bought their food. It's not hard to understand that all of that food would therefore be dedicated to Apollos, to the temple. Because it's right there at the base of the steps. So, so this is where one of those things where geography actually helps us understand what's going on. So, so the, the, the food would oftentimes be dedicated to the gods. And so you as a regular person would come and you buy your food, your groceries. And, and you had to deal with, okay, I'm buying food here that's dedicated to the gods and I don't believe in those gods. What do I do with that? Good question. Paul deals with it. Um, the bima, if you can see, that's a very... Uh, again, blurry, but that center in that big area, the center area, there's that center stage. The bima is literally a stage. It was a place in, in ancient Greece where it would be elevated oftentimes about to 
about six feet off the ground, and it would be right in the agora or the center section where everybody came. And this is where people like philosophers and teachers and religion leaders would stand and promote. They would also make announcements. This is like basically turning on the news. This is where all the action happened. But you would have an opportunity to share your thoughts, your, your dreams, whatever, there too. This is most likely the bema where Paul would have stood to begin when he moved to Corinth at first to talk about Jesus Christ. So the church probably begins in the public square. Um, yeah, and, and so, so as we look at some of these things, and we'll, we'll look at more as we go on that, that give us insight, but I talked about the inscription, inscriptions. Now, one of the most fascinating things there is, is this stone. It was discovered in 1929 called the Erastus Stone. And those Greek words there um, read, um, uh, Erastus, in return for his ship, laid the pavement, or this pavement, at his own expense. Now, the question, of course, is did Erastus write that or did somebody else write that? We don't know, but Erastus was a very wealthy man to have laid this stone, which meant built the building. This same Erastus, many believe, is the same one mentioned by Paul in Romans 16 as a greeting, greet Erastus. And also, if that's the case, would have been one of the 70 disciples of Jesus mentioned in Luke. So what we have here possibly is a biblical and a historical figure that identifies this letter to the church at Corinth and Rome at that point as historical fact. A, a wealthy uh, individual who had great influence in the church, not probably because of his wealth, but because of his character. So the, the, those are some interesting things we know about uh, uh, Corinth. Now, um, as we look at all of this, we're, again, we're going to look at both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We're going to jump back and forth, and that's what I'm saying. If you, if you want to bring notes or take notes, there's some tie-togethers. You're going to see some things that appear. If, if you don't have an explanation, it's going to get hard. You find out maybe, oh, it's been answered in 2nd Corinthians. So we're going to talk about those things, all right? But, but what we need to know about this whole thing is that there are five major issues. Now, I realize that when I start a series, um, the, the first sermon out of the shoot is, is pretty informational. The goal of any teaching time was, is that it would be transformational. This information is necessary for us to understand that this is a real letter written to real people at a real time in history. But what we need to understand is that this real letter has a real challenge for today. And what Paul really wants them to understand is that these challenges that, that they face are all addressed through Scripture. Scripture is preeminent to Paul. And so... These five major areas are these. The first is division in the church over following the popular instead of the truthful. Time has taught us that 
There is nothing new under the sun. When people say, oh, these days are worse. Mm, Yeah, if we look at history, we've had days that were worse than these. That doesn't mean that these aren't bad days. I'm just saying that we never know exactly. But the challenges are very similar. We're going to get into why Paul was said by some to not be very impressive. Now, when I say we're going to get into it, we're going to have to settle with some mystery. But apparently this brilliant man who wrote most of the New Testament was not that impressive in person. We have descriptions from him about him written that were extra biblical, you know, people who haven't written in the Bible but were historical figures who wrote about Paul seeing him. And apparently it wasn't much to look at. But perhaps there was something about his speech or his way of delivering things that was not as powerful as the way he wrote. Now, again, this is a culture of proud people who have pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, or at least think they have. And so they are being attracted to the leaders who not only are good and smooth and eloquent, but who also encourage them to continue in this pattern of gaining great wealth. Paul, on the other hand, comes in and talks about Jesus and his sacrifice and what it really means to serve one another in the body. And ah, all that serving stuff, that sacrifice stuff, come on, Paul. We're on an upward path. progression here and we're gathering the preachers around us who will tell us that that's okay you're kind of embarrassing and Paul deals with that Paul deals with that the the second thing is how to conduct ourselves in a sexualized culture now Corinth gets a bad rap in 144 BC when Rome conquered Corinth Corinth had a tremendous reputation with sexuality. In fact, it was said that that, that some who were overly sexual that had moved to other areas, they had been Corinthianized. That was actually a word they used. The time that Paul comes here, though, this city has been destroyed and now rebuilt by Rome. There is still a sexuality issue in the culture, but probably not a whole lot greater than a lot of the other cities in the area. And yet, it's still an issue. But having said that, he's dealing with so many things and specific things in this uh, uh, passage. But what he's really dealing with is not so much that it's happening, but the fact that they are proud at how open they are to sexual expression. Contrary to Scripture. Hmm. He's going to deal with that. Now, um... First Sunday, I'm sorry for putting you on February 3rd. Thank you. You already knew, Beth. Thank you. February 3rd, we've invited uh, a professor from Moody um, Seminary, Dr. Christopher Ewan, to come and speak to us. Now, we didn't invite him because we're in the series of Corinth. It just all worked out that way. But he is coming to us to speak about what it means to be a Christ follower in a sexualized culture today. Christopher Ewan came to Christ out of a very um, um, very, I would say, aggressive uh, homosexual lifestyle. 
and uh, he's come to Christ and he has some tremendous things to teach us about what the Bible says about this. And what he says is powerful, and that is that our sexual identity is not where we find our identity if we are in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. And therefore, we obey the word, but he's going to unpack that. Some of you parents are thinking, oh my, I don't want to come and bring my kids. And you have every right to not do that thinking that this is your own thing to deal with. I would agree with that, but I, let me just suggest that this might be great fodder for discussion. But Christopher brings a very modern issue that Paul deals with here, and I think you'll find it quite enlightening and challenging. So that's the second part. The third thing is the issue of freedom in Christ doesn't mean freedom to disregard others. In other words, grace is wonderful, but that doesn't mean that I'm just free to do whatever I want and disregard my weaker brother or even the pagans in the culture who are watching me. I need to be aware of what people see and, and care about them. Love has to trump <laughs> my freedom. Uh, we're we're going to talk about that. that. That's a fascinating subject. The, the, the next part is uh, order and respect of one another in matters of worship. This is a church that, uh, that because of its gifting and abilities, um, also struggled with caring for one another. Uh, Paul talks about that. And what does it mean to be the body of Christ and worship together? Uh, very, very pertinent stuff. And finally, the resurrection. Some in the church were saying the resurrection is, eh, we don't need that. It's not that big of a deal. It's not an important doctrine. Um, Paul says not only is it important, it is essential to our faith. Not only because we believe we too will be resurrected, but these bodies, these things that we, we live in are being redeemed, which then will speak to how we conduct our lives in these bodies. So those five issues you're going to see raised throughout these two letters, and we're going to focus in on those five things, sometimes spending more time on some than others, but we're going to, we're going to have some fun with that as we look at what, what the church did. But, but you see, what, what, what Paul is trying to have them understand is this. If we're trying to stay focused in a jumbled world, we must have a standard by which we live. If we don't know what the truth is, then, well, your truth is different than my truth, and, or maybe that's a big T truth or a small T truth, and I'm not worth, you know. We, we go back and forth, and nobody really knows what truth is. Um, this culture is no different. There, there are many, not just outside the church, who disregard Scripture. There are many within the church who disregard Scripture as truth. And what, what Paul is, is saying is, is that you must have a paradigm. A paradigm is a, is a pair of glasses, essentially. Um, I look out and I see you this morning, but I don't know who you are. I trust that you are you, but I can't see you really well. 
so I, I take this paradigm, these glasses, and I put them on, and all of a sudden I see through them, so I see that it's you. We have to have a paradigm by which we live. What is, how do we view the world? And, and what Paul would argue is that, is that Scripture is, is our paradigm. He says Scripture is the lens. Oh, he doesn't say this. This is what he means. Scripture is the lens through which we assess and define the culture. Otherwise, we'll assess and define the Scripture through the lens of culture. Does that make sense? Either I'm going to look at culture through the lens of Scripture or I'm going, to take, I'm going to assume that the culture is right and I'm going to look at the Bible. And if I do it that way, I'm going to look at the Bible and go, oh, that doesn't line up with culture. I'm going to get rid of that. Well, that doesn't line up with my culture. I'm going to get rid of that. And pretty soon we've picked and chosen the verses we don't like. And culture has become our paradigm. What Paul says is, no, Scripture is our paradigm. And we will look at scripture and see what it says and we will learn then how to live. <laughs> so, the second letter is, you see what happens is Paul writes the first letter, it doesn't go over real well. When we get into it, you'll see why. In fact, some of them were just gave up on Paul altogether. Then he came back and visited them. Apparently, uh, was carrying a big stick. We don't know what that means exactly, but he came back with power. Um, uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but I think things happened. And, and then there was apparently another letter, but then the second letter is in response to them saying, we confess, Paul, we were wrong. We want to restore relationship with you. And the second letter is Paul saying, yes, let's do that. But he was not gentle in reminding them of why they had the problem in the first place. And, and so, so that second letter is going to be insightful in, in helping us see how some of these things resolve. Um, he still is dealing with their issue of worldly obsession with wealth and peop, being a peop, people of power. And what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to, to live in servants to one another. It's an issue. So, as we look at all this, I want to zero in on these verses four through nine. Um, and I'm just going to make a few comments. Again, Paul's saying, I thank you, and I thank God for all of you, and, and all this, and, and you have everything you need. But he says this, he says, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need. He's saying to them, you're, stop grasping for, for more. You, you just stop and look and examine. That's a great place for us to stop and ask this question. Do I come to church for what I will get? Or am I a part of a church because I have something to give. Catch the difference? Do I come to church to get something? Or am I a part of a church because I have something to give? If it is true that everything that we need to be mature in Christ is found right here, that means if I exercise my gift, you exercise your gift, we're going to grow. We're going to mature. We're going to keep our Focus. That's what it means. And, and so, so he goes on to say that God will keep you strong. 
we don't keep ourselves strong. If we could keep ourselves strong, then Jesus died for no reason. But Jesus died. He took away our sins. He forgave us. And then he gave us his very spirit. We talked about that through that whole study on, the, uh, on John. If I don't leave, I cannot send the spirit. And his spirit is enabling us and cleansing us, not only forgiving us, but, 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 but growing us and maturing us. We can't do the things that we're called to do unless we live in the power of the Spirit. What Paul is saying in here is, you guys, you're not going to be able to pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps on this one. God will make you strong. Which means you need to rely on God. In, in this culture that we live in, even today, even here in the Northwest, which is called the most unchurched area of the United States, there's still this pride running through our bloodlines. We made it on our own. Now, I'm not going to get into any political arguments right now, but I'm going to say this. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. Everything that you have been given to do, the things you've done, God gave you. Make sure you give him credit. He enabled you. He enabled you. And what Paul is saying is that God will make you strong. Rely on him. And only then will we be free from all blame on the day of the Lord. And then he reminds them, God will do this. This is not us working harder. God will do this. He is faithful. He who began this good work will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What Jesus has begun in your life, he's still at work on it. Rely on that. Trust that. Let him do what he wants to do. That's how you and I will stand blameless before the throne. And then he says this, he's invited you into partnership. Not just he's invited you into son or daughtership. He's invited you into partnership. What is a partner? Someone who comes alongside of me to help me accomplish the things I'm trying to accomplish. Jesus has called you to come alongside of him to help him accomplish the things that he's about in the world, in the church. He has called you and me into partnership. We talk about that in our vision. We believe we're, we're to be a place of refuge, of God's unconditional love. I, I love that phrase because the agape love means unconditional. But over the years, over these, by the way, last Sunday, tw we celebrated our 23rd birthday here at Crossroads. I forgot to tell you that. We're 23 years old today. I look pretty good for 23, huh? Um, <laughs> We talk about it, but over the years, I've, I've heard people say, well, I thought this was a place of unconditional love. I said, well, interesting, God's unconditional love means he loves us, but it doesn't necessarily mean he approves of what we're doing. Have you ever loved anybody that you didn't approve of everything they were doing? Okay. But we also don't just believe it were to be a place of God's unconditional love. We believe in transformation, a place where we actually talk about this stuff. We let, we, we, we let the word be the lens through which we examine our lives. And the Holy Spirit does a transforming work in us, see. But that third part is partnership. Because if that's happened, if we've discovered and, and experienced the love of God and he's begun to do a transforming work in us, we, we, we say, well, what's next, God? And God says, well, I'm, I'm doing some things. I could use your help in this and this. And we get to participate, see. And that's what Paul's saying. You want to do this? You want to participate in what God? Okay, let's get this all together. 
So the letters to the church of Corinth expressed Paul's hope that they would be the church they were called to be and that they would actually do what Jesus called them to do. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer that said that any, any uh, uh, religion, so to speak, that talks about grace without, without action is cheap grace. Yet every generation has struggled with this. What does it mean to experience grace? Grace clearly has to take into account our frailty and our humanity because we are being redeemed, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But never was grace scripturally designed to give us license to do whatever we felt like doing, which is what Paul will be dealing with here. So we need to understand that Paul really cares about how they live, not just if they know the right stuff. You know, there's a kind of a, a fallacy that, that, that happens. People will say, oh, you know, if the church could just be what the first century church was like, we'd be so, so much better. We, we kind of get this idealism. Oh, the early church, it was great. Oh, we're, not, we're nothing like the early church. I know this has occurred to you, but do you realize that most of the letters of the New Testament are written to churches with problems? That's why they wrote the letters, to solve the problems. And some of those problems are pretty monumental. I like uh, 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 Dr. Ben Witherington at, at Asbury. He, he wrote a commentary on, uh, on, on Corinth. And he said this, as, of, as often as not, Paul was busy exhorting Christians to change their ways. If we believe that the Christian community of today should in some sense be biblically shaped, and if we hold up the example of the Pauline communities, then we must say, go and do otherwise, at least as much as we say, go and do likewise. Hmm. If we read Paul's letters carefully, they reveal that right living and proper social interaction, both within the Christian community and with the larger world, were at least as much of a concern as right thinking and evidently, the early Christians had difficulties with all these matters. See, sometimes we think, well, as long as we're preaching truth, everybody knows the truth. We know the Apostles' Creed. We know, we know all the truth. That's important, right? But we must walk it out. That was just as much Paul's concern. See, understanding Paul's concerns with the Corinthian church Right ideas and right thinking may not guarantee right behavior. But wrong ideas make right behavior almost impossible. Thinking right and acting right is what matters. We are called to live in community, not selfishly. That means not only am I going to grow better being connected to you, you're going to grow better being connected to me. And as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Have you ever looked at the sharpening process of a knife? It's just a bunch of burrs, and as you rub those two things together, it knocks the burrs off. You ever been in a relationship where you got your burrs knocked off? We need that if we're going to be sharp. We need each other. We cannot treat this as an intellectual thing. If I just understand the right stuff, I'll be good. Yes, that's important. 
but I need to walk this stuff out. You see, Paul, God has enriched us. He's gifted us with everything necessary. Which means he's done his part. And then when he says, God will keep you strong, that means we need to do our part. Why? He has called us into partnership. We're partners with Christ. We gotta know the stuff. But we gotta walk this stuff too. Nothing new under the sun. The church has always struggled with staying focused in a jumbled world. But as we look at these letters, as we examine this historical incident, I trust God will speak to my heart and yours and teach us what it means not just to know the right stuff, but to live the way Jesus would have us live. Because it's in doing that we're unified. And the world will see that Jesus is who he says he is. When the world is confused, it probably comes back to being our fault. Because all they see is us fighting. The word brings us back to what's important. Well, I'm excited to hear the rest of the series after hearing that intro. I think it's going to be really poignant. I think it's going to be really good. And Jim, in his typical fashion, gave a lot of background on Corinth, really talked about how it not only was a very sexualized culture, uh, but also that there was a lot of upward mobility, that these people who began the city were, you know, soldiers of Rome who had been given these places and, and slaves who were really trying to make their way in the world. And, and there was a lot of pride. There was a lot of people putting their names on things, and they really wanted a teacher who reflected that and, and, and gave that to them. But Paul is not that guy. So what do you th- what do you think about that background and, and and the city of Corinth and why it may have you know some some truth for us today? Well, I think it 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 gets at the essence. I think of uh, what we struggle with as humans, and <clears throat> we we struggle with putting us first. Uh, we and I mean that can look so many different ways. I mean. Uh, it, it could it could be through through sex. It could be through uh, division. Some of the things you, uh, we're going to get into, and I I like the the background of what of what these guys at Corinth uh, are facing and who they are, because so often we can look right at them and 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 see us, and so um, they they want it. In for themselves, right? And yeah. so often we want it in for ourselves too. Now, Jim said it in a cool way. He said, you know, so many times we revere these churches, but most of Paul's letters were not flattering. 
And uh, we don't need to mean that in a judgmental way that they're, you know, that we're better than these churches, but we're certainly not worse, you know, but <laughs> that's true. That's uh, I thought that was a good point. One of the things that he unpacked, Scott, was this idea of the Bema, this, uh, this place where ideas were exchanged, where likely Paul and Apollos and these other guys, and probably the false teachers as well, began their teaching. It was kind of a public square where philosophers would come and how people were really hungry for knowledge. And it made me think, you know, what, what's our modern day Bema? And, and I think part of it is, I mean, that's kind of the role that on a global scale, social media has has provided, but in a way where it's not as localized, you know, you don't have a BEMA for your city. Instead, you just have a, a worldwide or at least a nationwide BEMA for people, you know, who speak your language with which you can exchange ideas. What do you think about that? That's, that is so true. I mean, if, if Paul was living today, uh, don't you think he'd be on Facebook? I, I think it's very possible he might be on Facebook, although I think he would be out there face to face with people too. But I think he'd he'd be using it for for good. He wouldn't be doing all the bad stuff that we see on Facebook. You think, obviously, you don't think Paul would post selfies, <laughs> especially not no. you know as we and no. we're gonna we're gonna go into this in the coming weeks. But really, yeah. unpacking that, I mean, Paul was not maybe the best looking dude. No, maybe Paul wouldn't his selfies wouldn't have gotten a lot of likes. <laughs> Maybe it would have been, you know, people have been like, oh, Paul, you need a new filter. But no, it was it was really interesting. I, I think that was important. You know, when, one of the things that Jim talked about was this idea of a paradigm um, and a paradigm being a lens by which we view things through and how we can either look at the culture through the lens of scripture or we can look at scripture through the lens of culture. And one, you know, gives us life and understanding. The other one, you know, just allows us to kind of do what the Corinthians were trying to do, and that's create a God of our own making, you know, and just kind of we believe what we want to believe and pick the teachers that say the things that we want them to say. But I think it's really important that we really look at the culture through the lens of scripture. Amen. Amen. I, I, I can't agree with you more there. The tendency uh, is to want to be able to uh, appease the culture. Um, and we, we, we can't do that. Um, we, and we've got to study to show ourselves worthy uh, uh, workers of the gospel. And uh, we've always got to be prepared to give an answer to everyone. You know, these these well-known verses in the Bible. And doing that will help us to be able to look at culture in the light of what Scripture tells us, not vice versa. That's the last thing we want to do. And I think so often the church today has wanted to do that, is to appease the culture. And no, you know, we, we can't be doing that. Yeah. Do we fear God or do we fear man? It's not that we don't care either. We, I mean, one of the things I'm excited to hear is him dive into uh, Paul's criticism of how they treated each other and the respect and the care they had for each other. But one of the things that this is a quote from that Jim had that I really liked is, do I come to the church to get something or am I a part of a church because I have something to give? And I think that's one of the important things that he had to the Corinthians that I think we can learn today too is, and I know this, I mean, a lot of people, church shop, you know, a lot. And I'm not trying to put down, if you're looking, you move to a new place and you're looking for a church for you to call home for sure. I'm not looking down on that, but I do wonder if sometimes we are too concerned is, does this church have everything I want? Is it going to provide the customer experience that I want? Or am I looking for a church that I can call home, that I can serve, that, that I can give of myself to support and be a part of. And I think that's a really important distinction. It is. And there's, I think that it's really an, an attitude how do we do? Do we look at it as a consumer 
uh, if we're not going to agree with everything the church does. We're not going to like everything about the church. And the moment that something doesn't go our way, do we hightail out of there and mm. go elsewhere? And that, I think, is one of the key signs that maybe our heart's not in the right spot. Mm. Um, you know, and or, or we say, no, Lord, I'm, I'm here to serve with these people. I'm in the trenches with these people. And this is too important that what we're, what we're defending, what we're proclaiming, it's too important for anything that's petty. Um, and if, if there's, I mean, we shouldn't have any division, but if, if, oh, heaven forbid, if we do have to divide, may it be over something important, um, that's, you know, that's going to tear people away from Christ. And, uh, but anything petty, no. Yeah, I think churches are split over the color carpet in a new sanctuary, so I think maybe we're maybe we're being a little too cavalier. No, I agree. I think there is so much to unity, and a lot of this book is about unity, and mm-hmm. Jim's going to dive into that, that what was important to Christ right at the very end, he said, let them be one, Father, as you and I have been one. And mm-hmm. so many times we get so obsessed with our differences instead of really celebrating the ways that we are united as the church, as the body of Christ. and. We're going to dive into that. I'm really looking to this series, and uh, it's interesting. I, you know, I find myself thinking, Scott, you know, what would the letter to Crossroads be? What would, the, what would, you know, Paul's letter to the Treasure Valley be? What are the ways in which we need to follow more closely after God? You know, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Jim will have some answers for us. I hope so. I'd be very interested to be able to read that letter. That's right. Know. Part of me doesn't want to. Part <laughs> of me doesn't want to know. Yeah. We're going to dive in. And so uh, here is, uh, you know, uh, just in a new series, a new exciting series. And uh, we'll see you next week.